Hi, this is Jason at BWC. Welcome to this podcast of our adult Bible study on Wednesday nights. Let's join Pastor Pat Dale as he shares with the group. Well, we've been studying First and Second Peter, as you know, and it's been some rich, rich ground, I think. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do. If you don't, we always got extras back at the door. We got notepads and pens and mints, and there's water out in the lobby, so there's no reason you can't be comfortable. We got the air conditioner on. So you know the deal is this isn't a waste of time. This isn't motivational speaking. This isn't mind over matter. This isn't let's all hug each other and have rainbow thoughts. This is God working through His people. So um, take it serious, man. Because it works. Not just that it works for you, but it works through you. Amen. So, if you have your word, go to Second Peter. and We're going we're gonna to try to jump into this water and, and see where it goes. I have a feeling we're not going to get too far. Because God's been downloading some stuff. And uh, I hope it translates as exciting to y'all as it has to me. But then again, I'm kind of a Bible geek. I tell you that all the time. I get excited over lots of things that the average person may not. And that's their loss. So, um, We have went through most of First Peter. And let's start looking at Second Peter tonight. Now, Second Peter is written about 66 A.D. It's about a year or two before the death of Peter. This is his uh, swan song, so to speak. Uh, the best that historians can tell. He had about a year or two. This, this epistle was more than likely written in prison. So we see a lot of commonality with Paul in that regard. Uh, the first letter Peter wrote talked a lot about suffering. Uh, this second letter uh, talks about the end of life a lot. The first letter speaks of problems from the outside... This letter speaks about problems from the inside, both within the human and within the church. Uh, The first letter, he mainly addressed the Jews. The second letter, he addressed all Christians. So, uh, what I'd like to do is, let's just read the first... Man, let's try the first three, and and then we're going to break it down, and we'll go from there. Simon Peter, a bondservant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to glory and by virtue. Verse 1, I want you to notice, he calls himself Simon Peter. If you look in his first letter, it just says Peter. And the reason is because he's, address, he's addressing a different group. If you look at the very first words of First Peter, he's like, I'm, I'm Peter. And that's what Jesus called him, the rock, right? Upon this revelation, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But in this letter, it says Simon Peter. So he's addressing a broader spectrum of of believers. So that right there is important. But I want to look at the the third word, the word bondservant. I don't know what version you have, but there will be something in your version that says servant. And apostle of Jesus Christ. You know, the first thing that you are is a servant. It's amazing to me that he listed servant before his description. He said, I'm a servant first, and then, oh yeah, I'm an apostle. I'm a servant first, and oh yeah, I walked on water. I'm a servant first, oh yeah, I had... Thousands of meals with Jesus. Oh, uh, I'm a servant, but yeah, I was the dude that tried to protect Jesus from going to the cross by cutting off the dude's ear. Uh, yeah, I'm a servant, but I was the guy that when Jesus said, lower your nets, that, that was me. I was the guy that swam when I recognized him on the shore. But first off, I'm a servant. 
The Americanized Christianity has somehow twisted that to where God is our Santa Claus and He owes us stuff. He's our sugar daddy. And He needs to snap too when we ask for things. Now, that sounds ridiculous, but I digress right there because we know it's true. I know a lot of people that have quote-unquote ministries, and you all know that. You all know somebody that's, whoo, they, you know, God told them to buy toilet paper. Those kind, those, those weirdos, those flaky people. And they all have ministries. And I know a lot of people that have quote-unquote ministries, and they're not good Christians. Now, I've been around this thing since I was a little bitty kid, so I've met so many pastors, you can shake a stick at them. And a lot of those pastors and ministers of big churches, some of them, I wouldn't want to spend five minutes with them because they're repulsive people. There's a lot of people that call themselves ministers, and from where I'm standing, they're not even good Christians. But they want that title, they want that validation, they want that badge of honor. I see this a lot in people that are trying to break through into ministry. It's like, oh, I'm going to do all these great things, all these great things, but they got a jacked up personal life. It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Put your ministry credentials down and go become a servant, and then we'll talk again. So, how can you get that much off four, the first four words out of First uh, Second Peter? That's how God does me these days. It's really cool. If you had an opportunity, back in the day, you could be a, a servant to someone. If, if, let's say Mario owed money that he couldn't pay, well, back in the day, they didn't just put a lien on your house. They didn't just say, you really shouldn't do that. They really didn't call you and bug you. Back in the day, they made you a slave. They may have put you in prison. They may have put you with the person you owe money to. Different cultures did different things. But if he owned thousands of dollars and there's no way he could pay it, and he owed me that, he can come to my house and work it off as my servant. He could be my slave. And at the end of that, once he's worked it off at a meager rate, years later, he may be due to be set free. But there was occasions, in the Old Testament even recorded, where a slave would decide to stay with his master. Because he realized that sometimes you get into a master that is successful, and as he succeeds, you succeed. And they, have, they get comfortable, a comfortable relationship going. They have a nice place to live. They've grown, grown close to the families. And there's been times recorded that when a slave is ready to be set free, say, you no longer owe us nothing. In fact, after, after the servant had paid everything off, you had to send them off with lots of stuff. You had to set them up. You had to let them get started over. and uh, But there were times when they would say, you know what, I've really grown to love you and your family. I don't want to leave. I, I, I love you. And I want to continue to serve you. But your debt is paid. But I still want to serve you. And what they would do in that case is they would take that that servant, and this is kind of strange, but they would say, go stand close to the door. And they would take a awl, which is kind of like a screwdriver, they put their ear against the door and they would take that screwdriver and they would pierce their ear through the ear to the door. This is one of the early things of getting piercings. And there's a lot of weird history on other ones, but when it comes to the ear, what it represented was that when you saw someone with a pierced ear back in the day, it suggested, I am a servant by choice, not by mandate. So that would be one thing they could show respect to the, to the man or the woman that they're working for, the man back then, that they're working for, that says, you know, I'm no longer their servant by mandate, but I still continue to serve them. I choose to serve them. And this is what, this is what we have to do as Christians. Your debt's been paid. There's such a thing called grace. But there's another thing called servanthood, that though your sins be as scarlet, now they're white as snow. And while you were yet sinners, Christ loved you so much that He died for you, and yet you want to continue to serve Him. So, if there's ever been a biblical excuse to have a pierced ear, <laughs> you know, we could say, hey, I don't, I, you know, I'm cool, I, I wish to serve, I, I wish to serve. 
So Peter is saying, first I'm a bondservant, and then I'm an apostle. It seems backwards from a lot of evangelists and ministers today. If you watch their TV programs, you'll hear about their credentials and where they go, what they do, how many people's in their church. And you'll hear their credentials, and they're like, oh yeah, by the way, they're a servant. We've got to be careful of that. No matter where you serve, and whatever your ministry is, make sure you keep a servant's heart first. Notice in verse 2, it says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And again, this just sounds like a big, fancy introduction. I was telling Chuck before, before we started, I don't know how many salutations, which is the greetings of a, of a book, and how many exhortations at the end, the, hey, I'm out, y'all be good. We just fly over them. But there's a lot of meat in a lot of the of the hellos, of the of the beginnings of the of the verses. So let's remember that. Notice there's two things listed there, grace and peace. It's very important that we notice the way they're listed. If you if you do a Bible study, you're gonna find just about in every occasion that grace and peace are listed that way. Grace is listed first. Peace is listed second. Why is that? Because without grace, you cannot have peace. Without grace, you cannot have peace. Grace is the unmerited favor of God that covers you in your sin. Grace is salvation. So, what I'm going to say is a hard word here, that unless you are saved and born again, you don't really understand what peace is. It is impossible for you to experience the fullness of peace without first experiencing the grace of God. So it's important there too, grace and peace. It will always be in that sequence, grace first, because it sets you up to walk into peace. Alright, maybe I get excited about things too easy, I don't know. You want more grace? You want more peace in your life? I don't know of anybody that wouldn't like to have a little more of that. It tells us where it's found, right there in verse 2. Man, I would love to have more grace. I would love to have more, which is the favor of God. I would love to have more peace, which means rest. All y'all that are stressed out, man, it would be so sweet not to be stressed. We understand that stress is a choice. Stress is a choice. How many times does the Bible say, don't worry, don't freak out, fear not, be anxious for nothing. It's told over and over. We did a study on that, so I won't go over that. But basically, if you're worrying, you, you ain't following the Word of God real closely. And, I, and I, I'm not condemning you. I'm just saying, stop it. <laughs> uh, I say that to myself, too. I'm like, God, fear not, fear not, fear not. We had band practice in here last night, and there's two songs that said, I will not fear, I will not fear. And I was like, wow, i got to say that out loud, because fear likes to challenge me. I will not fear. So if, you, if you're in a place where you need more grace and more peace in your life, right here in verse 2 it tells you where it's at. It's found in the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God is where it's found. Now that sounds like something you would just read right over. And, um, and I did too, many times. I've read so many verses. I could have a little badge of all the verses I've read. How many of them do I walk in? That's a whole different story. But the Bible tells us there in verse 2 that inside of the knowledge of God, it contains your grace and your peace. Now, I like the word knowledge, but that's a little too big for us. We like to keep, try to keep it real. Let's just go to what he's referring to, really. He's really referring to knowing God. The knowledge of God, the base word, see the base word know? Okay, I didn't know if you all recognize that. Knowledge is a word, you're like, oh, that's, that's, that's what fancy people say, educated people talk about knowledge, there's knowledge that, and you tune it out. Let's just change the word. Grace and peace is in knowing God. So if I go inside of here, it, when I get to know God, I'm going to find this grace. It's in knowing God. If you want favor in your life, favor in your situations, and it's not that we serve God for what He can do for us. If that's what you think God is, you don't know my God. 
But He does give us unmerited favor all the time. The next time you sin, see if you don't need this. And by the way, you will sin. You will miss the mark. You can glamour it up and call it your issues if you want, but if you miss the mark, it's sin. And when you sin, you need grace. So don't ever think you're too big for your britches that you don't need grace. That's one thing that you can find in the knowledge and in knowing God. But then in verse 2, he continues to say, your peace is found in knowing God. So outside of this, this is where it's located, inside knowing God. You ever tried to have peace and grace outside of God? It's very frustrating. It's impossible, but we still try to manufacture it, don't we? It's like, man, all I need is a hot tub and a glass of wine, or I need a vacation, or whatever, whatever your deal is that helps you. I don't know. Maybe you need to go get high. Maybe you need to take some more painkillers. I don't know. But we try to manufacture peace all the time. Whether it's godly or not, you try to manufacture it. And you, outside of, inside of knowing God, you'll not ever experience the wholeness of peace or grace. But we still try to manufacture it. So, Hosea 4.6, we all know this, that says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Lack of recognition. The reason some people get hammered is because they have no idea what's going on in their life. The next time you get suckered punch and your floor falls out from under you, your finances are gone, your marriage is on the rocks, your kids are acting like crazy people, and the boss is a jerk, and everything's coming at you all at once, and you try to figure it out all by yourself. Your peace is in knowing God. <laughs> i got to stay with my notes or I'll get too many. People are destroyed for lack of knowledge. What you don't see will destroy you. What you're not aware of. And let me tell you something. You're not going to be all-knowing. You're not going to get to have a crystal ball. You're not going to be a psychic. There's one way that you get to know what's happening in your life, and that's through knowing God. Not your super brain, not your degree, not how many Bible verses you can quote. It's knowing God. Now, let's talk about knowing God a little more. Um, Let's flip over to Philippians chapter 3. Paul's writing to the church at Philippi. Now, Paul's the man. I don't know if you knew that, but Paul was a man among boys. When I, when I read about the, the life of Paul, it makes me feel like a little Boy Scout. Philippians. Somebody took it out of my Bible here. Where did it go? Well, I got it on this paper, but... Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. You've heard the verse before. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection... That's the end of it for the American church. Man, I just want to know Him and His power. I want to put on a show. I want people dropping like flies. And everybody can say, that boy's anointed. Look what God did for me and mine. But it doesn't stop there. It says, "...in the fellowship of His sufferings, being made comfortable unto His death." We read in 1 Peter, he talks about, you know what, you're a Christian, you're going to suffer. You're going to suffer. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. I can give you all kinds of verses. It rains on the just and the unjust. Don't ever let a preacher get up and mellow you out so much to think that because you serve God, somehow you're exempt from the crap of life because you're not. In fact, sometimes the war rages even more intensely when you make a decision for Christ. You're going to understand Him more through your suffering. It doesn't make it cool. It doesn't make it logical. It doesn't make it feel good. But I'm going to tell you, don't try to minister to someone that's gone through a rough divorce if you've not gone through a rough divorce yourself. Don't try to tell somebody how to raise a baby if you ain't ever raised a baby. 
Don't tell somebody to hold on to the healing when you haven't prayed and fasted and, and, and gone all out after yours. There's something that validates you because you've walked where they're walking. To me, if you're a pretty boy and got everything you wanted, you're not going to really instill a whole lot into me. I'm sorry. I need somebody that's taking some knocks on the head. You got my respect because you've walked out there and ugly and you came through it. So there's going to be times when you are going to understand some of the... Now understand the sufferings of Christ isn't just mean you have an uncomfortable life. There's going to be times when... And we don't really have much of a taste of it in this country because we're free. We can come to church when we want. I don't know where the other 200 are. But in China, but in China, you might die for trying to go to church. So, we think it's such a sacrifice to come to this air-conditioned, cushion-seated room and talk about Jesus for an hour. Careful about your sacrifices. I appreciate them. Keep coming. But uh, we haven't really... Now, if you want to read about the life of Paul, just flip through his epistles and he'll tell you how many times he was shipwrecked, beat with canes, stoned, left for dead. They had to lower him out of a wall of a city just so he can get out of the way. He went from Christian killer to a Christian rebel. He, he, uh, he was marked on one side and then he was marked on the other. Paul was the man. So he understands that suffering for Christ. He says, man, if you really want to know Him, there's going to be times when your life ain't going to be right. There's going to be times when you are persecuted for His name's sake. There's going to be times when people talk about you because you believe in this Jesus, this hoax that we all believe in, this this crutch called religion, this whole thing that helps you get through your day. I know I have friends that are atheists and agnostic and they, they kind of look at me in their condescending way saying, oh, that poor soul, he's so misguided, he's so silly. It's all emotionalism. All it is is affirmations. It has nothing to do with reality. This is all we got. At the end of the day, we go in a box and we live there and that's the end of life. And I say, man, you're a sad person. You're a sad person. You're going to get persecuted at times. And I'm going to tell you, as the end approaches, our rights are going to be more and more limited. So if you think it's rough now, hold on, baby. If you can't serve God now, man, I just want to scream it. You can't serve God with the Holy Ghost living on the inside of you and a completely free country. Baby, you ain't got a prayer going anywhere else. If you can't live it now... With the power of God on the inside of you in a free country, you messed up. You got some work to do. And hopefully we can help you with that. But but quit feeling sorry for yourself, I guess is what I'm saying. Paul says, I want to die to sin just as Jesus died for sin. Can you imagine getting to the point where sin is no longer an appetite to you? You all know those things, those uh, little besetting sins, those things that so easily beset us. Maybe it's not a sin, maybe it's a weight. Maybe it's that thought that you have trouble controlling. Maybe it's that, that little secret sin you don't want nobody to know about, and you've put it in the closet nobody knows, and, and, and you'd be scared to death if anybody here found out about it. Can you imagine waking up one day and getting so sold out to God that it no longer appeals to you, that it finally just... The Spirit of God breaks that desire off of you. There is a place in knowing Him. The knowledge of God is where you find your peace. From whatever it is that you're fighting. You can't find the peace by coming to church more. And I hope you do. You can't find your peace by just reading more books. You can't find your peace by singing louder. I wish you could. But it's in knowing Him. It's in the knowledge of Him. And you know what? That's not always easy. So we don't like that. Guys, it's not about knowing about Him. I don't care how many Bible stories you can tell me. I don't care what you know about Him. I, I, I Kudos to you, you know a lot about Him. Maybe you can tell some stories. That's way cool. But do you know Him? Do you know Him? Not a figment of imagination. Not part of a historical book that we read and we revere. Do you know Him? Not about Him. That's what separates the men from the boys, the girls from the from the women. Do you know Him? Because I'm going to tell you, if you know about Him, you're going to sink miserably quickly. But when you begin to know Him, 
You're going to find that grace and peace that you're looking for. And the world doesn't even recognize. So what they do is they try to, they try to saturate themselves with, with other things to momentarily ease that pain. For a moment, I don't have to feel this if I, if I take this. Or for a moment, I get escape if I go and if I do this. And the whole time, they're trying to medicate themselves because there's something missing. And everything you need is in knowing Him. The greatest example uh, that I could tell you about knowing somebody, I want you to think about your friends in your life right now. I'll bet you, you can only name on one hand the people that really know you. Not the projected you. Not what you want people to think. The real you. When you're jacked up and sideways, they know you. Not too many people. People that know you when you're ugly and when you're decked out. People that know you when you're talking Christian and when you're talking bad. There aren't a whole lot of people that really get you, that really know how you work, that really know how you tick. I'll bet you you can't name more than probably four or five people, maybe not even that, that really, really know you. I wonder how many people really know God. I'll bet you it's, it would shock us. How many people really know God? Oh, they know about Him. I know about all kinds of people. I don't care if you're the biggest Jesus fan there is. Do you know Him? He's not just a character. Let's go to... You guys ready to be scared? Let's go to Matthew chapter 7. I think you're ready for a good scare. You guys, you guys are looking awful comfortable. It's time to scare you. It's what my preachers always did. <laughs> Except they never, they never ended on a good note. They just left us leaving thinking we was going to hell. I was like, what's up, dude? This is the good news? This is the gospel? I feel worse when I left than when I got here, man. You, you ain't giving no good news. You're just trying to feel important. I, told, uh, I was talking with uh, evangelist Robbie and pastor at the table uh, at lunch. And I said, you know what, If do you remember when he was here, he had people praying for people Sunday? It wasn't that weird. I told Pastor, if, if a lot of these traveling evangelists actually did that, they might lose their jobs. You mean to tell me the body of Christ can pray for the body of Christ? You don't have to have a, a personal jet and a big limo out front? No. And it blows me away. That tells me Robbie's heart right there because he's trying to have the body minister to the body instead of, hey, come up on my stage. Ushers get behind them. Watch what I do. Be careful with people like that. I'm glad, glad we tried to keep those people out of this house. So, anyways, back to being scared. Matthew chapter seven. <laughs> I'll tell you, it, it's a it's a scary verse to me. I don't like it. I wish it wasn't in here. This is Jesus, one of his biggest ser- the Sermon on the Mount, is his largest discourse in the New Testament recorded in Matthew chapter seven. Make sure I got the right verse. Look over at verse 22. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name. Done many wonders in your name. Then I'll declare unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, I don't know how many of y'all, or himself included in here, I don't know how many of us have prophesied in His name. I don't know how many of us have cast out demons in His name, but those are pretty cool things. I don't know how many of us have done many wonderful things in His name. Maybe you've done none of the above. I don't know. But Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. That's rough, man. That's that's some hard, old school preaching right there. We preach grace. We preach mercy. We preach His mercies are new every morning. That it, that that where sin does abound, grace much more abounds. We we believe in the grace message, but that's for this life. And at the end of this life, you're going to stand before Him and you're going to give an account for what you've done with the years He gave you. 
He's not going to ask about your church attendance. He's not going to ask you how many programs you were involved in. He's not going to ask you how many prayers you prayed. It would scare me to death. I mean, this is, this is, this is judgment time. I never knew you. Yeah, you did all kinds of cool things. Yeah, you got business cards. But I never knew you. We, we were never solid. We were never, we were never that tight. I never knew you. Yeah, you were doing your thing, but I never knew you. It's a scary verse in the Bible. It's one of the scariest that I know. Because it's talking about people that have religious activities. The Bible says that with their mouth they praise me, but their hearts are far from me. There's another verse in the Bible that says that they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. There's a lot of there's a lot of Christians that have tremendous resumes and they think that's going to get them through. But I have a caring heart, Pastor Pat. That's cool. But Pastor Pat, I come in here and teach once a month. I mean, look what I do. Look at the wonderful things I do. The question is, do you know Him? Not do you know about Him. The word know there is, is, uh, is an important word. You've probably heard it preached on before. But the word there, uh, knew, is gnosko. Gnosko is a, a word that is, it has a Jewish, y'all grown up, we'll just be real with it. If you, if you don't like real, you're not comfortable in this church anyway. So, gnosko means to know someone intimately. And it goes a step further in the Jewish culture, it means to know them intimately even to intercourse. Alright, y'all put on your big boy pants for a minute. It's alright. Now, uh, you may have a good buddy that you've known your whole life. I know him. I can I can predict when he gets when he gets sideways and he knows when I get sideways and we hey dude, that's I'm watch it, watch it, you're going in the ditch, you know. We've known each other for twenty some years. But I don't know Dave as well, as tight as I know him, my best buddy. I know my wife a little better. Why? Because I spend more time with her. She knows some stuff about me that would that would ruin me, right? <laughs> when they know all the stuff, then you know. It's like, man. You know, we we have full disclosure and, and sometimes it's not always great, but hey, what are you gonna do? But that's what God wants to know. He wants to know you so well. Now, those of you who have a concept of a jacked up marriage, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a passionate intimacy with Him. And and this is what's unfortunate when you're teaching things in the Bible, especially when you're talking about a, a Jewish custom that means that. If you have a bad picture of what intimacy is, you really don't know what God expects of you. One of, we used to have breakaway classes way back in the day, and, and we called it what now classes. Now that you're saved, what are we going to do now? And um, I had a lady in the class, she was older, a way older lady. She was a senior citizen. And, uh, um, and we began to talk about God our Father. And she's like, you know, that's, that's cool, I understand, but I never had a daddy. He was never, he was a deadbeat, he was never around, he, he ran away. I, I never understood what the love of a father is. So sometimes when we begin to try to understand the depths of God's love, it, there's a disconnect because of our experiences. So what I had this lady do, I said, I want you to go home and I want you to sit down and I want you to write out a story of your concept of what a perfect daddy would be. I gave her homework. And she went home and wrote out a perfect, what I think a perfect daddy would be. And she brought it back and I was able to read it and I was like, now, the Bible says that if you be an earthly parents, know how to love your babies, paraphrased, how much more does your heavenly Father know how to love you and give good gifts to you? So, 
if you've never experienced intimacy to that kind of level with another person, you may be having difficulty understanding what God wants of you. All I can say is He wants to be in everything, every decision, every, every day. We've talked that He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows when a sparrow falls. He knows so much about you. And, and we, just two weeks ago, we talked about how much He cares. We, we did a lesson on, on He cares. Wow, time is flying. I don't know what's important to you. What's important to you in your life? I don't know what it is. There's something that drives you. There's something that, that makes you get up in the morning because I've got to do this. And it, and it may be great and noble things. I've got to get up and I've got to perform because I've got to take care of the family. If you're a man, you should have that provider instinct. If you're a woman, you should. I got to nurture my babies. I don't care how old they are. I got to look after them. I got to take care of, of this. I got to take care of that. And we all have our places, and and they're grand and they're noble. And they're like, man, I just got to be this. I got to be this. Whatever that is, as as important as it is, it's not as important as knowing God. I think I may have just killed a sacred cow but that's fine that's fine I don't care who's important in your life they're not more important than God when you bring God into any relationship it exponentially blows it up because he can get involved in it Uh, better stick with my notes that means God's more important than your goals and your dreams I don't care if they're ministry driven God is more important than your ministry. Because don't be one of those ministers that's not a good Christian. There's tons of them. And quite frankly, they make me sick. Like, I don't know how you can love God who you haven't seen and act stupid to your brothers who you have seen, but that's my paraphrase of another Bible verse. Um, God's knowing God's more important than your church attendance. It's more important than, than the song you sing. It's more important than the petitions that you bring to Him. God's more important than anything in your life. Psalms 46.10 is a, is, is a great one. Then the next time your life gets hectic, Psalms 46.10 will just, should just smack you in the head. And it says, Be still and know. Be still and know. Be still means lay down your activities and I want you to be aware that I'm God. When you're freaking out, when you get real busy, chill and get an awareness that I'm God. I'm running this show. I'm in control. When you relinquish your worries to His power, something happens in your mind. There's a, there's a shifting in your mind that says, you know what? All my freaking out hasn't changed anything. But when I say, God, I'm going to cast this care upon you and get my stinking hands off of it, watch what happens. We could have a testimony service right here at this point. When you get your hands out of the mixing jar, let God finish what He's trying to do. Get your worries, get your fears, get your efforts out of the way and just get to know Him. When you get to know Him, you'll get direction, you'll get wisdom, you'll get peace, you'll get grace. It's all in the knowledge. My Lord, we haven't even got to verse 3 yet. Do you know that your visions are built on the level of your knowledge? How many of you had an idea of something you thought, this is what God's telling me. But as you grew in God, you realized, oh, that was, that was half Pat, half God. And, and He starts changing your, your vision. He'll change your vision as your knowledge of Him changes. Because it, it has less of your fingerprints on it and more of His. Do you follow what I'm saying? I, I know years ago, I was like, man, I want to be a worldwide evangelist. I want to, yeah, I want to conquer the world. I want to sell out stadiums. And God has this question that messes me up every time I get out there. And it's why. I'm like, God, so I can save people. He's like, really? Is that why? Or do you want your name on that billboard? God, I would love to write be a New York bestseller. Why? 
So you can say you're a New York bestseller author? No, so I can get the word out and help people, encourage them, and give them direction. Really? He always asks me why I do stuff. Man, I'm like, come on, God. I'm a pretty good guy. But the more you know Him, the more He'll change your ministry. You thought you knew what you were called to be. How many cooks or gardeners do we have in the house? Y'all cook or y'all garden or ever have? Y'all ever been to a farm? Y'all ever cooked hamburger helper? I don't, you know, just pretend with me. All right, all right, that's cool. <laughs> um, let me ask you a question. How do you make a pickle? You go to the store and buy it and you eat it, right? That's how they're made. How, how is a pickle made? Right. You take. You take. That's exactly right. You take a cucumber and you stick it in what they call brine, which is spices and waters and vinegars and all. I don't. I don't know. Grandma did all that stuff. I don't know. All I know is that they they put them in a pickle jar and they seal them up and they leave them alone for a long time. I don't know. I don't know what the time is. It doesn't doesn't really matter. But what I do know is that over time, and in that solvent, that pickle it's actually not a pickle the first time you put it in there it's still a cucumber a wet cucumber is how it starts right but over time it becomes a pickle what happens is you take that cucumber and it begins to take on the characteristics of that which it's soaked in and it actually changes the texture the appearance and the smell of that cucumber so when the, when the time is right, you pop that lid, it tastes completely different. If I had a pickle in this hand, a cucumber in this hand, there's a drastic change of taste. Why? Because it took on the characteristics in that which it was soaked in. That's how you get to know God. How many of you are cooks? Have you ever heard the word marinate? The word marinate is, a, is an Italian word which is a derivative of pickling something. And... And I know this is this is the steak man right here, and, and he has a, a custom a juice that he he a marinade that he soaks his stuff in overnight before before we grill out. And um, that marinade, that that steak will begin to take on the attributes of what you soak it in. That's why worship and the presence of God is so stinking important. It's not a bygone thing. If if worshiping God is a bygone. If it's a side kicker in your life, I'm going to assure you, you're not operating in a lot of grace and peace. Because you can't have a lot of grace and peace without knowing Him. And there's only one way to know Him. It's not come to church more. I hope you do, because you can experience Him here. It's not just reading a bunch of words in a cool book. And that's very important. I'm not minimizing either of those. It's not about how many slow songs you sing when you drive to work. That's not going to get... You want to develop those things? You get to know Him. So what am I saying? I'm saying, I'm going to, take, I'm going to give you all a challenge. I'm going to give it to me too. And hopefully mine will be more because I do this for a living. But um, I, always, I always hated that. Preachers always telling me stuff. I'm like, dude, i got kids. i got to work 50 hours this week. Anyways, I try to keep that in mind. I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask you all, if you would give God 10 minutes... For the next seven days. That means you go back to a quiet place, you sit in a chair, and you just get quiet. And just sit there. Now, here's the rules. If you want to get to know God in these 10 minutes, and dude, I'm telling you, you got 24 hours. Well, how many minutes that adds up to? 24 times 60 is what? Somebody's got a calculator, right? 24 times 60. What's that? 1,440 minutes you have every day that you breathe. I want to ask you to give 10 of those to God. Here's the rules. It's got to be quiet. Ain't no kids, no grandkids running in and out, screaming, crying. That don't work. 
no TV, no radio, unless it's very soft music that helps you get into the acclimation place. And you can't ask for one thing during these ten minutes. You cannot ask for one petition, not one request. You just shut up and stand or sit in His presence. And I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. You're going to start getting inspired. You're going to start getting ideas. You're going to open the can of peace and grace that you don't have right now. Ten minutes. If you can't give Him ten minutes of your 1,800 plus minutes in a day, He's not your Lord. He's your Savior. Don't call Him Lord no more. You're not allowed. Lord means Master. That means, if you call, if you call Jesus Lord, because they're interchangeable, no, no, not really. Lord means, I do what you tell me to. How many managers are in the house? Can you imagine... My first day at work, I come to you as a manager and say, this is what I'm doing, doing, doing. If you don't like it, deal with it. He's not going to keep me. Why? Because on this world, in this world, He's the master, I'm the servant. He's the manager, I'm the new worker. I don't know when we stop becoming servants to our master. But if you call Him Lord, that means He's calling the shots. It's a pet peeve of mine. And I have to keep myself checked on this too. I mean, but what happens is you go into that quiet place as a cucumber. But if you stay there over time, you're going to take on the characteristics of Him who you're worshiping. You're going to begin to smell and, and, and taste. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. He has a fragrance. You're going to change even your very looks. Your countenance will change because you spend time in His presence. Let me ask you this. You're all aware of the, I call it the Americanized prosperity message. God wants you blessed. He wants you all driving Rolls Royces and living in the biggest house in Richmond, right? That's what they've taught us. If you believe that, hook, line, and sinker, I want you to, for a moment, I want you to take that off your brain and I want you to put it down, just for a minute, even if you have to pretend. And I believe in balanced prosperity. Balanced prosperity. But I want you to, for just a moment, pretend that you don't believe anything about the prosperity message. I want you to take it out of your brain and I want you to set it on the chair next to you. And I want to ask you something. If you did not believe in any parts of the prosperity message, would it change your prayer life? I guarantee you, it would. We have come under this illusion that everything that we ask for, we should get. That every hardship should go away. That every hill should be flattened. That every curve should be straightened. And then when God doesn't do it, we have a faith crisis. Peter says, I'm a bondservant first. And then, oh yeah, I'm an apostle. I serve Him. Because He's my Master. And, and even though my sins are forgiven and my debt has been paid, I choose to have that ear pierced to show that though I no longer owe a debt, I will continue to serve my Master. And I know that I'm just a lump of clay, but I know that in His presence, there's fullness of joy. In His presence, I change. Not just my mood, not just my emotions, not just my countenance. I change from the inside out. The real me. Do you understand that you're having a human experience, but the real you will never die? I don't want that to sound new age. You don't freak out on me. Because we know that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You're going to live forever. Hopefully in heaven. And that's, that's where we're all going by the grace of God. But the real you gets jacked up in this flesh because our desires say, this is me. And God said, no, no, no. This is you. You surrendered it to me. You put you on the altar. You said I could be your Savior. If I'm going to be your Savior, I'm going to be your Master too. And that's what happens when you spend time. I'm telling you, it's really weird to pray and not ask for nothing. Be ready for a weird out moment. Because the first thing that happens... 
Now maybe, maybe I'm just, let me tell you what happens to me. The first few times I was challenged with this, I, I bowed my head because prayer time means ask for everything you can think of, right? <laughs> what if you couldn't ask for nothing? Just sit there, be still, and know that I'm God. Worship Him for who He is. Thank Him and praise Him for what He's done. Don't ask Him for a stinking thing and you will begin to take on the characteristics of Him. And next week when we come together and you say, I've spent ten minutes a day with God and look what's happened inside of me. Yes, the external will change, but that's not what's important. What's happening on here. A true change always comes from the inside out. But we spend most of our time praying for the outside stuff. God's saying, know me. The only way you can know God is in your spirit. Because the Bible says God is spirit. And those who truly worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now, this is kind of cool because when He says those who truly worship Me, suggests there are those who don't truly worship. Oh, they sing a slow song with their hands in the air, but that doesn't mean they're worshiping. If he says truly worship, means there, that leaves room for me to understand there's people that have the appearance of worship, but their hearts are far from him. Please don't take this as condemnation. I'm challenging you to get alone with God and know him. You cannot spend time with somebody and they will not affect you. You know this. You watch your kids and who they hang out with. You know that if a kid hangs out with a stupid kid, he's going to become a stupid kid too. My father-in-law always said, your, your associations determined your future. You hang around a bunch of goofballs, you're going to be a class A one after a while. Hang around a bunch of trouble causers, guess what? Little Johnny just became a troublemaker because of his influence. Whoever you hang out with, you start acclimating to. You begin to act like him. So, I hope I'm not driving this in the ground. Wow. Pastor, if you don't mind, what I'd like to do... We're not going to get 10 minutes. This first track is four minutes long. And after that, you're welcome to, to head on out. But for four minutes at least, and there's a couple extra tracks if you want to hang around. But we try to get you out of here at 8 o'clock to, to respect your time. See if you can sit here for four minutes and not ask Him for anything. Just be in His presence. Be alone with Him. Amen? Amen. Thank you for joining us for this Wednesday evening podcast from Bethesda Worship Center. You can find more out about us at BethesdaWorshipCenter.com and by liking us on Facebook.